Welcome to a new episode of Dev Talks, where we talk about everything engineering and technology-wise with your host, Travian. I just want to say I appreciate all the support on any videos that you guys like, comment, and stuff. I'm trying to get to them as soon as I can. Once when I catch up on making all this content and scheduling it, I promise I'll do that. But thank you for another week. This week, we have a lot of information between Apple, uh, NVIDIA and stock chips, and EVs, and so much more about AI and things. So... Just tune into this episode, let's dive in, let's get to the nitty and gritty of it, and let's just have fun and enjoy and see what we can learn this week. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and let's dive in. And welcome back. So as I said, we're going to just dive into all this stuff. A lot of information again, just picked out this stuff quickly from last week. Uh, this episode should be a little bit shorter than the other ones, but thank you again. Um, really appreciate all you guys' support and stuff. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, but we're about to really dive into will AI take your job and put more potential harm between how AI is going to be affecting jobs and more other stuff. So let's just dive into that and see how all of that's going to work. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share. It helps out the algorithm, and let's see what they have to say. Where do you sit in the optimist versus pessimistic side of AI application? I'm net, I'm net positive over the medium to long term. Over the short term, though, it's going to be a little bit tricky because what we see is AI enabling automation of labor that isn't just manual and routine, but cognitive and non-routine is it's wiping out the ki- a lot of jobs, the likes of which, like my father, who was a lawyer. The kind of work my father did as a lawyer ought to be 99% done by software at this point. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bad thing for people later in their careers who aren't going to be able to pivot necessarily. From a statistical standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, it's not going to be as bad as, as one might imagine, the impact of AI on labor. But over the short term, we're going to see some automation of a lot of white-collar jobs. The interesting dynamic right now, Alec, if you look at the entirety of the news flow. I, before they continue that, I actually kind of like the way he uh, mentioned that. So jobs like that, for example, he said his dad is a lawyer um, and most of what he does is can be automated by some kind of software and things the point of stuff is to make jobs and things easier to where we can still have that work within it as well too so like perfect example he is still going to be able to go to court and do a lot of the stuff and things but a lot of the research the paperwork and all that other stuff saying he can save so much more time um just using software and things now, if you're a lawyer that's billable by hours, that might be negative impact because you can't charge people as much as you used to charge back in the day or whatever. For each hour that you bill somebody, it you might be starting to either, you're going to be able to do either one of two things. You're going to raise your rates per hour because you want to keep that same kind of lifestyle and income. So how many people are going to stay with you for higher rates, uh, but less hours of work getting done? Uh, when it used to be the same amount, but more hours, people like lower numbers averaging out over higher numbers. So, and that's just how it is over there. 
And then another thing is like, it just makes your job so much easier. If you're able to find a good common ground on stuff, then I feel like it's going to work out just fine as far as using it. But there are ways and advantages that you have to think of stuff like that when it comes to billable hours, hours working and stuff like that. If it's take, if you're not on salary, it's impacting you so much more and you have to think about how you're going to be able to give those rates out appropriately to people. So is layoffs and cost cuts at bigger companies are in part being carried out to free up funds to invest in AI, ironically. Um, does the, the earlier stage ecosystem of all these startups that say we're using AI to automate or make more efficient a specific function feel any of that? You know, the, the reallocation of capital from, say, headcount to, to a new AI tool? Well, yes and no. And first of all, let's be let's have some, you know, intellectual honesty around a lot of the drama around layoffs. Uh, unemployment is really, really low in the United States right now. Some of the layoffs that are getting lots of attention are getting lots of attention because they are inside platform companies that have been hiring wildly for years. But if you take sort of take or sort of take a sort of cold blooded look at employment in the United States, unemployment is shockingly low. I live in Maryland where the unemployment rate is like 2.4%. That's nothing. So I don't think we need to be sounding alarm bells yet uh, about layoffs, in part because those people being laid off inside these platform companies can go get work inside startups, the likes of which I invest in. And what we're seeing inside these startups is they are using AI in a way that uh, is enabling them to not have to build their headcount too fast. So they're, they are, this is enabling the growth of really lean startups. So I think it's actually helping the startup ecosystem a little bit more so than some of the flabbier old platform companies that are doing some of these layoffs. Alec, we were just speaking with Kai-Fu Lee a little bit earlier, who does feel that there's going to be a limitation on these big tech juggernauts that have been so ahead of the curve in AI development thus far. But it's going to lead to cannibalization of their own business models, and ultimately, they're not going to be AI first. Are all of the companies that you're backing now ultimately AI first companies, or are they having to reestablish themselves, rethink about their headcount, rethink about the way in which their business model works, for example, like a Grammarly? Yeah, so not all of them are necessarily AI first. For a lot of them, AI will be a new tool in their toolkit. The most exciting examples of an AI first company, the one that leaves to mind, I'm speaking to you today from Italy, and I, and I spent today visiting with a, a company that we're backing in Switzerland called Kyan Health, K-Y-A-N. And they are using AI uh, to provide mental health services into big companies. And they're doing so AI first. Something like this wouldn't have been possible, providing AI-enabled, enabling um, mental health services to tens of thousands of employees that has a human component on the back end, but has an AI component on the front end, that kind of thing wouldn't have been possible years ago. And so this ultimately, I think, is, is showing what AI and can do to, to help the world a little bit. So there's a lot of good points in there, actually. Uh, one of the things that's more or less shocking, well, I've been saying it as part of stuff too, where, hey, a lot of these layoffs are coming from overhiring around when it was COVID time and right before early COVID, before COVID, COVID happened. A lot of those, these big engineering jobs and stuff that I was talking about, they, they were overhiring. So all last year, 
when we seen them doing cuts, it was because of all the overhiring and overstaff that they all had. And for the unemployment rate to be that low, maybe it's not that hard for experienced developers, engineers, and other people in the tech world to get another job. But one thing that I can say it's hard for is newcomers coming into the job and stuff. Maybe, um, like, as he said, you can go into startups and things. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. That's correct. You can go into startups. Maybe more new engineers should start off at startups instead of trying to, especially if you're not landing those big jobs off the out the gate, maybe you should go to the startups and try to build up your resume, build up your experience, take the lower pay cuts and stuff like that over at those startups and see what you can get out of them. What you have here is... uh, And see what you're able to get out of those companies because you you might be better off just getting a job if you're a new engineer that way. Because there is a lot of competition as far as getting positions at these other companies. Speaking of which, my friends just went to a career fair and they all applied for certain companies off of Handshake, uh, based off our school, Handshake gives um, suggestions for the college that we went to and things. And they all applied for a certain position. And on the same day, they all got an email from the same recruiter talking about the next level interview. So now they're all competing with each other for the same job. (laughs) Like, that's just... That's just how it is. They're now they're competing for each other with each other for the same job. And how many roles are they going to fill fill off of that? Just one. Just one. So it is highly competitive out here. And imagine all the people who don't hear anything back. As I talk about, I talked about one of my friends that's hard for them to get jobs, and he's been applying for months and months and trying to develop more projects to show for these cases. But one thing that I'm worried about his case is. He wants to be a front end or a full stack developer, and a lot of the front end stuff will be able to get done by AI very soon. Like a lot of front end dev work, you might need a maintainer who specifically uses AI to develop these new designs and UI, UX, and everything. But he has to be able to grow and develop in that way to keep your job and be the one who's more likely to keep that job uh, when that new invention comes around because they even talked about these tech companies going ai first and getting rid of their own workforce and stuff like that doing that but no if it's used as a tool like the way i was just saying and that developer is able to use it as a proper tool to help them it makes them way more valuable and that's what people got to know and that's just how stuff's going to turn out that's how things just are out here and how things are continuously going to be continue they're, they're continuously going to just be like that so let me know what you guys think down below because how uh, and let me know if you're having troubles getting jobs and positions as well or if you've recently been laid off because it is tough out here no matter what percentage he says on layoffs and things it is tough uh i could only imagine how hard it is for somebody who loses their job in that kind of way and things but that, that's just the society that we're in right now and that's all i can say around that topic so next we have something about i, I haven't watched any of these videos early 
um, before watching them. All these are new to me. So one, we have something about the EVs being a nightmare for the US car industry. And when you think of it, there has been a lot of new EVs coming into the industry in the US right now. And because Tesla is no longer the only one, it's not the prize jewel anymore. So let's dive into this. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. It helps out the algorithm. I really appreciate it and share. There's a situation where, you know, Joe Manchin was, was, uh, you know, the, the player who, you know, Washington really just had to sort of bend to his will. And he was really reluctant to, uh, you know, allow for electric vehicles to continue to get tax credits. He was opposed to them. And he said, okay, industry, we'll, we'll give you these tax credits, but you build me a supply chain. Uh, that, uh, of course, you know, sort of didn't take into account sort of, you know, the complexities of the supply chain and the fact that China is just so dominant in this space. And they've really uh, sort of, you know, methodically, uh, you know, for a time quietly, you know, built this, this you know, staggeringly strong position in, in terms of, you know, the control of, you know, the inputs, whether it's, you know, nickel and lithium. Uh, graphite, uh, you know, these inputs are going to be really, really difficult uh, to, to source, uh, not only just, you know, whether they're mined in, in China, but whether they're sort of processed and refined and, you know, the, the sort of cost difference that, that the West is going to have to sort of overcome really just can't be, you know, sort of overstated at this point. And folks, if you want to see this article, it's a fantastic article, really deeply reported, great graphics, makes it easy for me because I like the pictures. Bloomberg.com slash big take is kind of where you find it. Big team effort. So, you know, Craig, I see in your reporting here in 2023, the IRA required that at least half of the value of battery components had to be assembled in North America and that 40% of the raw materials had to be sourced from the U.S. And in 2027, that raw material requirement is going to double to 80%. Are those numbers are they can they be achieved in that time frame? I think that's that's one of the things that uh, you know it sort of depends on which company you ask. And I think you know some of the concerns that that uh, the industry is having here is the fact that some of these raw materials, the prices have really collapsed. And uh, you know that that you would uh, sort of think, oh, that's a good thing for the auto companies. But if you're trying to build uh, a supply chain in North America for these raw materials and the prices for them have have absolutely you know sort of the bottom has come out. I think of lithium in particular, you've you've seen just this dramatic you know drop in in prices that significantly undermines the economics of those projects. And so you know I think the raw materials in particular are a real challenge. I think battery components will be less of a challenge, but even there it, it is. You know, a matter of you can't just sort of snap your fingers and, and open up a bunch of plants for these various components. Uh, you know, it, it does take time, uh, you know, to put, uh, you know, dig up the ground and, and uh, put up these these plants that uh, are coming, but but uh, are, are taking some time. And Craig, across the automakers, I'm looking at, at the reporting again, seven of Tesla's 12 models sold in the U.S. fully cleared the IRAs sourcing hurdles and qualified for the tax credit. What percentage of EVs being sold in the U.S. are clearing that hurdle? I think because Tesla is still so dominant in the U.S., uh, we're we're at a point where you know the EVs that uh, do the most volume are largely qualifying at the moment. But I think the fact that those raw material uh, requirements that kick in next year 
uh, and then escalate in the years uh, that follow, that's really where we're going to see even more of a sort of, you know, a level of, of screws put on the industry. Uh, but but I think, you know, the other car maker that I think is particularly well positioned, I would just I'll call out to General Motors. I think the fact that they have a localized supply chain uh, uh, for batteries, they have a, a joint venture with a, a Korean uh, battery supplier. We're, we're seeing, you know, more and more of those uh, partnerships, you know, Ford uh, following suit, uh, Stellantis, the maker of uh, Jeep and Chrysler, um, you know, similar deal where, where they're setting up uh, battery plants in North America uh, and sort of on and on. But those projects, I would say, are much further behind where where we have uh, Tesla, which, you know, for years has been making batteries out in Nevada with Panasonic and GM, which has a, a partnership with LG and in U.S. So. That's shocking, yo. Now, there's a lot of things that he talked about. One, the first thing I want to say is. Tesla got their first positive thing that I've heard all year. I haven't heard anything positive from Tesla since this year started. And the first thing he said is they still have a strong foothold in the U.S. Which is true. They do. For now. Uh, It all depends on how they go now on in the future. If they're going to stay stagnant, then it's going to cause a problem. But if they want to continue to innovate better than while they have the lead, then they, that's what they should be doing. And they wouldn't, wouldn't even be worried as much, most likely. But the one thing that I really want to sit here and um, talk about is he even brought up BYD. He talked about China and how they secretly, <laughs> they didn't secretly do it, but like how BYD was able to get that foothold in China and get all the tax breaks and all the other things to be able to innovate and grow at a way quicker rate. He he was talking about that when we went over the whole BYD stuff earlier this year. And he's talking about how other people in the U.S. want to kind of do that same thing. They want to not only for AI chips and things, they don't want to create them in the U.S., so that more money is coming for from the U.S. along with innovation, but also we're gonna have uh, the batteries and stuff. Yeah, forty percent of it of the vehicle can come from the U.S., but they want more of that. They want the more that you can create home, like how Apple does, where Apple makes stuff in their own company, the better. They make all their own chips and keep it to themselves and be able to develop. That's something that BYD does in their own format. And they do it all within their country of China. Most of their products come from China. So they want to kind of have the same format and expect to grow with these companies in America. And he's saying the only two companies that can do that right now are GM and Tesla. GM, Tesla. They're the only two right now. Now, mind you, I think this is going, it's going to be a lot more than that as more companies in the u.s start to develop into evs and move into evs and stuff like that there's going to become a higher need and when the higher need comes more stuff is going to be created especially in the u.s and be able to grow from that and be able to get benefits from that but that is literally the outlook that tesla and their shareholders and board should be thinking about right now 
and that the government should be thinking as well too hey these other countries are doing this better than us how can we meet that that requirement or get up there or become better than them at it these are all things that you need to think of ideas of stuff to do like as i said we went over this earlier this year and i was the first major nail in the coffin for tesla this year that we were talking about hopefully by the end of the year there's a lot more of going down this track where hey you're the leading ev place in the u.s can you develop more in-house they they already got their batteries in-house that's or in america and stuff in the u.s said the places in arizona something like that on those lines but that is literally what we need to strive for and what the goal should be overall hey craig i think the narrative out there just kind of the bigger picture on evs right now is gee maybe demand isn't as high as we all thought at one point we've got you know the big automatic manufacturers pulling back like ford for example uh loss is still big what's your understanding when you talk to your sources as to how people are thinking about the ultimate demand for evs over the next one to three to five years I think, you know, perversely, it was a challenge that, you know, for time, you know, business was too good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that, you know, for a while there, uh, it, it, you know, so many companies, uh, you know, actually had back orders. Uh, Tesla in particular, you know, had uh, demand issues as opposed to a supply issue that, you know, really sort of caused this, uh, you know, unsustainable, you know, jacking up of, of prices. The fact that that has had to come down I would say more dramatically than we've seen uh, for the the rest of the industry has had all sorts of you know unintended un, unintended consequences when you uh, you know so dramatically bring down prices on the new side uh, the the used side is uh, of the equation the used vehicles uh, really lose their value and the fact that I think EVs maybe have some sort of you know particular challenges uh, with you know maintaining their value when you think about a used uh, you know, gas car, you don't worry about, you know, the engine holding up, you maybe have, you know, relatively more concern, rightfully or not, as to whether or not the battery is going to hold up. And so what we're seeing is, is, uh, you know, that really come into play in terms of total cost of ownership. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that we've really paid close attention to lately. I think when we step back, you know, the, the fact that uh, EVs is sort of, you know, the way forward, uh, particularly in terms of you know where the regulators want to see this industry go, I think we've seen that China is is able to to make this work. We've seen that Europe uh, is much further along in this transition. I think the question is, for the U.S. is whether you know whether we can sort of you know get uh, uh, Americans who tend to like bigger vehicles uh, to come around to to electric vehicles. I think that also adds some complications to the mix as well. So. Uh Another thing that he's even saying, I didn't even know Europe, how strong Europe's hold was in the whole EV market. I like from what we learned about BYD, they learned a lot of stuff from. They sent a lot of stuff to Europe and they're starting to put bring more of their vehicles and stuff within Europe in European countries right now. Um, I had no clue that Europe. I don't know any companies in Europe that are main EV contributors right now. I know there's a lot of car companies, of course, over there. 
but I never knew how well they're doing. I don't know exactly how well they're doing, per se. Maybe that's something that we can look at. We can look at other companies uh, besides outside of U.S. and BYD and things. And besides Tesla and BYD, we can talk about a lot more EVs and where these co companies are coming from and how they're going into different markets and things. Because I know they're out there, but how much attention are they really getting and bringing? If you, like that's something that I'm not too aware of right now, but I would love to learn it. Another thing he was talking about, like the cost of materials and things, they used to cost a lot more and it would have been good if they were cost cost more to, for profits. But now price of profit, price of materials in general across the world have decreased. So when it comes to outsourcing those materials to other companies and stuff, you're not going to be able to make more money if you're developing these materials within the US. That's what one of the main problems that he was talking about. And I I really think that's something that's really true. It's very true. It's going to be that way uh, for who knows how long and just go from there. But yeah, that's really interesting on how now we're seeing a lot of more information about getting that stuff more in-house with between within American companies or being on American soil. I knew that was such a major thing for AI chips. That's something that they want to do. But now they're doing it even more for other types of technology companies and stuff. They want to bring all of this stuff in to us so that we can just benefit from the profits and the revenue and stuff like that. Uh, because how companies perform in a, in a country, they it boosts up the country way more than you realize. That's why China gave them EV, comp, EV company, BYD, so many breaks and stuff so that their economy can soar way further than it already is. So that's just it. Uh, the next thing that we have going on is a lot of fun, I shall say. I say uh, Apple Vision Pro. Uh, it's kind of hard to, I still haven't gotten mine, but I, I seen some comments in here and I wanted to go over some of these comments first before I watched the video because they are interesting takes. I don't know how, what the video is exactly going to say, but I know it's about people giving back their headsets and things. Like there's a comment here talking about everyone's returning it because they realized it's $4,000 like. Do we really need this? Uh, I don't need it anymore. I can't afford this. Uh, people probably couldn't. They probably have to break it down into some type of payments just like their phone does because of how costly it is. MetaQuest is way more inexpensive, but I'm sure there's way more other reasons. And another person was saying, once when all the content creators and stuff made their videos, they just returned it. So I can see smaller content creators doing this. Uh, that's a funny thing. I, I don't, don't want to take that comment too literally because i can see smaller content creators being like hey i don't have the money right now to partake in this but hey we so i'm gonna make this video real quick and then send it back but the one thing that i can say though is a lot of the bigger ones i think they're still holding on to their vision pros so that they can create even more content off of it 
and because there's a lot that's going to come out of the Vision Pro in the future. So uh, without further ado, before we dive in, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share for the algorithm. I really appreciate it so much, and let's hear what they said. Say it, but I'm actually returning Apple Vision Pro. Here's why. Since the Apple Vision Pro debuted earlier this month, it's not comfortable. It does not replace this. Some Apple fanatics and early adopters are explaining why they chose to return the red hot headwear within the 14 day window allowed. If I wear this for more than two hours, I get a real bad migraine and my forehead just starts to hurt. Even though some are blown away by its immersive features, the complaints ranging from a lack of comfort to limited options for apps to a price tag that can easily touch north of $4,000. Narinder Walia tells us he'd gladly pay that hefty sum if he wasn't mainly using it to watch videos. Especially, he says, if the device can't be worn easily for hours in theater mode. After how long would you say you started to feel physical symptoms just from wearing the device? There was ice train after 45 minutes. The Wall Street Journal's joke. I, I want to stop here because they already listed off a bunch of problems that I even heard. Uh, Marquise Brownlee, I've seen some of his reviews and stuff like that. He's literally my favorite tech um, YouTuber in the whole studio there. They're amazing people. I want to have him on as a guest on the podcast uh, as much as possible. But uh, I did hear a lot of stuff about this. Like even Mark gave his review. We listened to Mark's review last week. The snippet of that chunk of last week's video, if you haven't watched it, will be coming out sometime this week or this weekend. Um but that is one of the major, there's a bunch, what they listed is a bunch of major re things that I've heard. They don't have enough apps on the platform. How good are their developers doing stuff? Their developers aren't getting stuff out. Shoot, even I've been trying to develop an app. It's kind of hard to get in touch with developers if you don't live in certain cities. Um, from my experiences of it and being new to Swift and things, and another reason I'm new to it. And getting a lot of stuff to be function to function the way you wanted to in the Vision Pro has been difficult so far. It's an early, it's an early thing, so it's just been difficult to develop the applications that you want to have within there. But I've seen so many dope concepts, and I believe they're going to come out eventually. But giving us six months to really develop something that's going to be crazy good is just not going to happen. I think by next year, this time, a lot of those more advanced apps will come out because I bet you a lot of these people are either in smart small teams or working by themselves. I'm working by myself right now and I'm probably going to upgrade into a smaller team that's more tight-knitted and stuff and show them the ideas and things so that I have more people doing that because I don't have enough time on my hand between work, between the podcast, between all the other stuff that I'm doing and trying to work on, there's just not enough time in a day to do this stuff. So my schedule has to be very tight knit. And that's something that is definitely getting worked on. But these apps aren't going to be on there. Everybody, you basically have a $4,000, a three to $4,000 home movie device. Yeah, it's more immersive and stuff. It's cool to play with for a week. But after that week, you're not getting nothing out of it anymore. And then the other thing is how, how comfortable it is. It's just not good. Mind you, a lot of these people, they probably don't even realize there's another headset to make stuff, make it more comfortable. Apple does provide another headset with the Apple Vision Pro. 
uh, to hold better on the head. It's not as it don't look as good. It's kind of ugly, but it is more efficient, and it does take a lot of that heavy weight off your eyes and things. But they they need to make it more comfortable. They need to have a better app store selection and things. And a lot of people are going to be returning it from that reason because, like you literally, it's you just sit in there to watch videos mainly, and then. Who are you really FaceTiming on with it, with them ugly avatars? The avatars didn't look how they showed in the event last year. There's a lot of development that hasn't been done in time. And they just, I don't, I think they just haven't had enough time. This is something, and one of the things is, Meta already has this software out to a degree. Meta has this out to a degree of how to do stuff. And they have games. They have a way more stuff on there and things. Apple needs a whole nother year, year and a half to even get to a solid point to where this is okay. Now, generation two, that might be better. And one of the reasons why I've been holding back is because of that reason, these reasons that they all listed off in the video already. But um, that's the main reason why... I haven't gotten minds yet to do YouTube videos and things, along with other reasons too, of course, because I, I, I was trying to set up a lot of stuff for the podcast itself and the business and things, but hey, all they're saying is true. It's true facts. I don't think it's worth it right now. It's cool um, to have and to play with, but I've, I think really after a week's time, you're not really getting your money's worth out of it because you have... How many TV... I have two monitors right here. I have a phone, I have a TV, and I have laptops. Why do I need a device just to watch shows on? I don't. A lot of people have so many devices to already watch shows and things on and whatever. This it's just Division Pro is just not ready right now. It's just not ready. Joanna Stern reviewed the product. I think part of one of the reasons these returns are happening is people get into the store and they're like, holy wow, this is amazing. <laughs> And then they get home and then they realize, oh, I'm not going to use this thing so much. And I paid a lot of money. That wow factor convinced Luke Miani it was a worthwhile investment. I think they absolutely knocked it out of the park with just interacting with non-existent windows that appear to be floating in midair. But Mark Zuckerberg, not impressed, comparing the Apple Vision Pro to his Meta Quest 3. I don't just think that Quest is the better value. I think the Quest is the better product, period. As for the users showing up on the subway and even dinners with Apple Vision Pros on, hey, bud, I want some <laughs> what's up with the pinchers? Miani called this kind of dystopian and likely not useful. Why bring it out to dinner with three of your good friends? I mean, it wasn't practical at all, but it was very fun. As for those who are wondering, is it really a good idea? To See, people were just doing stuff just for fun. Like, let me take this out because it's fun. Like, yeah, you can go get a little bit of excitement, but after you bring it to dinner that one time and have that fun, you're not doing it again. You're literally not going to do it again. You're just doing stuff for the hell of it at that point. And one thing that I did see was this kicker destroying. He's very good at kicking, and he wanted to show from his POV how to how he kicks the footballs and stuff, and it was a wonderful video on how he used the Vision Pro. On how to on his perspective and things and going through his field goal process and stuff it was a wonderful perspective 
and maybe if it was something that's better to wear and easier to wear you can get more povs on different players and things like that um maybe they should add some type of way in that football in general because seeing certain players povs would be so dope it would be so cool i'm saying it right here i'm giving the nfl and ncaa ideas get little micro cameras or something in the helmet so we can see players povs and you can add them to the live stream oh my gosh or upload them later upload them later you guys have the voice stuff every week just you know get the, get the little video i mean mind you a lot of those cameras probably would break unless we find better helmet technology but uh, there's just people are just using it just to just for the fun of doing stuff with it just for the fun of it they're going out with it just for the fun of it you don't see people doing that with meta quests and things uh so you can really see how the difference of what mark was talking about between the worth of these two products right now where they stand uh one is just way more luxury priced and looking and stuff but that's what we have right now. To bring these devices out in public, we've all seen these videos. Guys, the truth is these devices are not designed to work in motion, which is to say the features are not as effective when you're moving. They're meant for home or for office. We did, of course, also reach out to Apple to find out more information about how many of these devices have actually been returned. So far, we have not heard back. Back to you guys. All right, Sam, thank you so much. It's one thing when you look at the table next to you. They are not going to say how many has been returned. I can I can agree with that. They are not going to say <laughs> how many of their videos, I mean, uh, products have been returned. That's one thing I would never admit. As a company, I would never admit that. It's crazy. I need to steam that. But, um, yeah, it's just not practical at all. And, like... It's tough because another thing I saw recently was about the cost of making a Vision Pro. Um, I I saw I saw this graph that showed how much it costs to make a Vision Pro. But I didn't know how true it was. And I wanted to do more research on that. So if you guys want to see that in a, a separate video or something like that, we can definitely do it. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of different components and things. And when you add stuff all together you'll notice how much they're really making off of these. And from what I saw, there was like, it cost about 1600, 1550, whatever to actually create the Vision Pro, which is so costly, mind you. Like the MetaQuest is releases a product a third of that price. Uh, so, and then they're selling them for 35. So you're making a $2,000 profit off of each headset. Mind you, as time goes, um, time passes, Apple likes to discount their products to a certain degree. So maybe they're they're doing that so that they can have like five hundred to a thousand dollar profits later on in the future, which is still crazy 
to think about. Um, maybe they should bring the price point down, especially based off all the stuff that you use to. Yeah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do some more research around the cost of actually developing it, but for what you can do on it, you there's no. There's no point of it being that much. There's really no point at all for it being that much. And I just I just agree with that. I agree with a lot of people's frustration right now on how they're viewing the Vision Pro and how it's being used and how much it is. That's just how it is. And I, I agree with y'all. I sympathize with y'all. It's, it's completely not worth it at this stage and point. But... Speaking of which, something that's completely worth it right now, we were just talking about NVIDIA. We've been talking about AMD or NVIDIA every week since the year started. They're always doing stuff, and NVIDIA is it's just liking to break records, I like to say. They like to break records. That's what I like to say because they are doing a thing. They, they are... They, they are making every everything count they are make doing they're doing they're doing what they're supposed to be doing I mean they're the number one leader their earnings report we were talking about last year a lot of people are saying this is going to go to a thousand dollars easily they've grown their stocks grown so much um literally from last week and things and we're gonna get into this because we Last week when we were talking about this and reviewed a video, they did not have the report out already. The The report was not out, but it did come out that day, last Thursday and whatnot. But now this is the CEO's words. Um, this is some more information around what's going on with NVIDIA. This came out after the earnings report came out. So let's quickly just go dive through this. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share on all the platforms. Appreciate it so much. I really do. It helps out the algorithm. Let's see. Front of the breaking news animation because John Fort sitting down moments ago with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong following the company's earnings. Talked about how enterprise software companies are going to drive demand for NVIDIA's technology. Listen. What's going to happen is this. The, the, the world's enterprise software platforms represent approximately a trillion dollars. There are that trillion dollars represent Wolf's platforms like ServiceNow. It represents data platforms like Snowflake, Dropbox, Box, SAP, Oracle. These application-oriented, tools-oriented platforms and data-oriented platforms are all going to be revolutionized with these AI agents that sit on top of it. And the way to th think about that is very simple. Whereas these platforms used to be tools that experts would learn to use in the future these tools companies will also offer ai agents that you can hire to help you use these tools or to help you reduce the barrier of using these tools shares of nvidia still surging after hours they're up 59 bucks almost nine percent i'm sure you can catch the rest of that john interview tomorrow i'm just guessing joining us now is deep water asset management managing partner gene munster gene amazing quarter on pretty much every level the market has spoken that's not my opinion you said you love the fact something called training and inference were much stronger than you expected my question is what is what is training and inference 
So training is when I know what training you, means. Training. Okay. Inference is when it basically gives you the. I, I don't like that. Um, just because you know what it is doesn't mean your viewers do. Unless you're watching this all the time, like I want to know more on that. Like you don't have to cut them off. That was kind of rude. I don't like that. I don't like that. This is why we, we look at different news channels and stuff so that we can get information from different people and stuff. But I ain't like that at all. I, I I want to be educated. I watch this to be educated. That does not help me at all. The response, it's you put a query in uh, and then it actually tells you what you wanted to know or gives you some direction. That's the inference. It's inferring what uh, what you're asking. And so essentially why that's so important. So that number was 40%, like you mentioned. I would have guessed that that number would have been 5%, but 40% of their CPUs are being used for inference. And what that means is that there is already an infrastructure layer that's in place. It's still nascent, but there is a lot of use for some of the things that Jensen Wong was just talking about in your John Fort setup piece there, that we're actually using AI. And uh, that is an incredible number. As I said, I was expected to be 5%, 40 does show that even though this is early, we're getting a lot of use from AI. I think it really speaks to the question, is AI, how much is it hype? How much is it reality? This looks to be more than just a guess from the mm -hmm. big tech companies that's going to be something that's actually, uh, people are actually using it. I tweeted this out earlier today or X'd it out later on, earlier today, Gene, because I've never seen anything like this in, in my career. The, the price difference among about 50 sell-side analysts cover NVIDIA. I think the high price target is like 1200 and the low is around 400 most price target differences are like 30 or 40 bucks how can the sell side analyst community have an 800 dollar gap in their expected price targets when they're all looking at the same data and probably all went to the same business school why am I yelling? So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in a unique place here, Brian. As, as you know, I've spent the last almost 10 years as an investor, but 20 years before that as an analyst. And so I know that role pretty well. I didn't ask well. it by accident. I, I love it. <laughs> I think the, the, the reason why is you probably have, of those 50 analysts, there's probably 30 of them that the buy side doesn't really care about their opinion. And they really don't spend a lot of time on uh, their, their modeling. They don't spend a lot, put a lot of time into their price target. And that could be on the high or the low end. And so I think that there's probably a lot of noise here. It's usually probably five or 10 analysts that really matter when it comes to a company yep. like this. And so I think if you probably look at the five that matter, they're probably all pretty close to each other. And Actually, we have one more thing to look at for this. So last week, look, they were just talking about this was at 735. When this come out? Um, six days ago. So less than a week ago, it was at 635. It's at 774 right now. And last week, we could not see this earnings report right here. And a lot of what everybody was worrying about last week was... Will they beat it enough that the stock won't go down because people have way higher expectations? And instead of it going down, it went the opposite way. It went crazily up the other way. So far, like NVIDIA is carrying Magnificent 7 by a long shot right now. They were the last one to um, show their reports and stuff. As you see, they beat the revenue almost 7.5% and 
the EPS they beat by 11%, 11.3% almost. And this, these were the numbers that we were looking for. These numbers aren't as good as the past quarters from last year, but this is the, I can't see the quarter, the first quarter from last year uh, to compare it to last January right now. But um, like they, they, they lead in the board right now. It, it's becoming even harder for AMD and all the other companies to catch up to them right now. It's becoming even more trivial because of all their focuses on. It proves that they're way more valuable than some may think they're valuable. Um, people have way more ideas coming out for them. They're thinking of using way more stuff with AI. The demand is way higher. These companies are actually using them. They're going to continue using their products. They're going to continue growing. Um, by the way, that training stuff, I do know what training is for AI, by the way, but I still feel like it's was wrong in some way for him to just cut it off because some people may not know how what training means for training an AI system and things like that and the toll it takes on machines. Maybe somebody needed to explain that in his terms or whatever. He might explain it differently than other people would have and stuff. So that's just what I really didn't like and appreciate from that. But NVIDIA is definitely up there. They're definitely making some changes, some headway. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. Uh, I've heard a lot of news around them hitting the 1,000 mark on the stock. I forget timelines on when they said that will happen, but I it, it, may, it may get there. It may get there sooner than we think. It's gone up 100 easily in the last month in stock price. So do what you want with that information. And all of that. Um, but thank you guys for sticking to another episode of Dev Talks. Uh, have a good weekend. Be safe. Appreciate it. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. See you next week. And peace.